welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues our Strange Stories series with a look at moving mountains. Let's listen. There was an article in the Charlotte Observer this week, and the article was all about it being about one year since many who lived in Afghanistan ended up fleeing the country and settling here in America. And that article was really close to my heart because this church has supported the Gafuris who fled last August and who now live in the church manse just about 100 feet that direction. And so I was curious because the article was all about, okay, how have they done in their first year? Particularly in the Charlotte region. This was their first week. Their first week. This is a couple of the family members um, from almost a year ago. And so the article was, okay, let's interview people. How has it gone? And they interviewed one father, and they said, what has been the best part of being able to be here in America? And he pointed to his three daughters. He said, I've got three daughters, and every time they get on the school bus, I celebrate the fact that we're in America. Because now girls are not allowed to go to school in Afghanistan. He said, we helped America And then we had to flee when the Taliban took over. And now I'm so fortunate, so blessed that my girls can have an education right here in our country. They said, well, what's hard? And he said, for those of us who didn't know English off the bat, well, you had to get an entry-level job. And that's been a challenge because entry-level jobs don't pay very much. And if we think inflation has hit us hard, imagine how hard it would hit them. And so they've just kind of scraped by this last year. But the reason I'm bringing up this story is because how it ends. The oldest daughter piped in, and she reflected on everything that happened to her this last year, on fleeing the only country she's ever lived in, on settling here in America, and now going to school and getting education, starting a new life, as she reflected on her future, here's what she said, and this is the quote that ends the entire article. She simply says, nothing is impossible. It's pretty beautiful, isn't it? That she can look at all that has happened in her life and can now look at her future, which is looking brighter by the day, and can say with confidence, nothing is impossible. Well, I wanted us to reflect on that statement as we look at the obstacles in our lives. Because all of us have obstacles. We've got things that come into our path and it makes us wonder, how am I going to get through this? And our mindset, our attitude, is going to be very important in when we approach that obstacle. Is our mindset going to be one like this young woman who can look at that obstacle and say, oh, but nothing is impossible? Or are we more tempted to feel overwhelmed by the challenges that present themselves into our lives? Well, I believe because of our faith that we should adopt this nothing is impossible attitude. But I would add a a caveat to that. Nothing is impossible with God. I truly believe that. When we're studying these strange scriptures, And Jesus is going to make this same point in our story today. He's going to make the point that with God, as Christians, we need to look at life and be confident that nothing truly is impossible. 
Now, it's easy to say. It's harder to live by. And so I would like to study this story and particularly study Jesus' words about why and how he encourages this for us. So here's how the story begins. Jesus and three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, they go up to a mountaintop and they spend the night up there. Jesus is transfigured. Another strange story we'll get to in a couple of weeks. Then they come down from the mountaintop and they see that the remaining nine disciples that they've all left down at the bottom are now surrounded by a crowd of people. So something has obviously happened in their absence. And that's where our story is going to begin today. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Okay, so while Jesus was gone, this man brought his son to the disciples. And the man said, I, I need healing. My son, he's suffering from these seizures. It's so scary. We don't know when they're going to hit. And so he falls and he'll fall into fire sometimes. He'll fall into water at other times. It's a dangerous situation. And so the disciples, without Jesus being present, they try to heal him. They try to heal the boy, but they couldn't. They couldn't heal him. And that's troubling. That's troubling because earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gave these 12 disciples the authority and power to heal. He said to them, if you heal in my name, you will be able to do what I do. Just seven chapters earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, it says Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And so we've arrived at the main problem of this story, that Jesus told his disciples that they have the power and authority to heal. But when they were given the opportunity, when this father brings his boy and asks for healing, they were unable to. So now the father brings the boy directly to Jesus and hopes that Jesus might succeed where his disciples had failed. Jesus's reply is part of what makes this such a strange story. It is just so unexpected. I mean, how many times in the Gospels do people come to Jesus and ask for healing? It happens all the time. And Jesus usually responds with something to the effect of, go, your faith has made you well. It's some affirming statement to the person who is requesting healing, but not in this story. In this story, Jesus' reply is so different. It's so out of our ballpark that it makes us lean a little bit closer into this story to say, what is going on here? Here's how Jesus replies. He says, you faithless and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
bring the boy here to me. Okay, that's obviously not the response that the father was expecting, right? And we can be honest, this is not the response that we are expecting Jesus to make in this situation. So what is going on here? There's a couple of things to note. The first thing I want you to notice is that this is an emotional reply, isn't it? You can hear the emotion in Jesus' words. Understanding a bit of the Greek language is going to help us here. Because in the Greek language, it uses particular tenses to convey emotion. So in this statement, the Greek language is using the vocative tense. And the vocative tense is used whenever there's a heightened emotional appeal. So the writer, the author, wants you, the reader, to know that Jesus is feeling particularly emotional here in this response when he says, you faithless and perverse generation. Our question is why? Why is Jesus feeling so emotional? Well, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But here's the second thing I want you to note. I want to point out that Jesus' response is plural. It's not to the Father as an individual, is it? It's to the whole group, the whole generation. So that gives us a clue as to what's going on here. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that Jesus is upset with his disciples. I believe that Jesus is deeply disappointed that his disciples were not able to perform the miracle in his absence. Why do I think this? Well, let's read on and you'll find out. The next verse says, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. And then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? So in private, the whole scene is, is now over. The boy is healed, but the disciples in private are, are kind of wondering the same thing as us. Okay, Jesus, why did you have this response? And why couldn't we heal the boy? I mean, Jesus gave them the authority to heal. They were now given the opportunity to heal. Why didn't it work? And in Jesus' response, I believe we find out why he was so emotional. Because here's Jesus' answer. He replied, because you have so little faith. Put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples there. I bet that hurt. Don't you think? I bet that hurt. When the disciples are saying, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we heal him? And Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. The disciples did not truly have the faith that they needed to be able to heal the boy. They didn't believe they could do it. And their lack of faith, Jesus says, became a self-fulfilling prophecy of not being able to do it. And this, this disappointed the disciples, but it crushed Jesus. I mean, Jesus had mentored these disciples, for several years prior to this point. And you can tell that he had hoped that their ability to trust God was a bit further along than it obviously was. But the hard truth was they weren't where Jesus hoped they would be. And their lack of faith, meaning their lack of truly believing, 
that they could heal this boy became the obstacle to healing him. Now, in times like these, I am so glad that we have four gospel accounts. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? We've got four different accounts of Jesus' life and teachings. And I'm so happy about that because sometimes in this situation, Matthew remembers the story to the best of his ability, and he writes down what he remembers from this story. But he's writing decades after the story happened, right? So try in your own minds to think of something that happened 30 years ago and then write down word for word what happened. And then ask your neighbor, who was also there, to write down what they remember happening. It is amazing how similar the Gospels are in their memories of what happened, but sometimes one Gospel remembers something different or extra that the other Gospel did not. And so, In this situation, Mark remembers that Jesus made another comment that helps us make sense of this story that Matthew does not include. So here's what Mark says as he's remembering this story. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Okay, that's an interesting statement because it's implying that the disciples tried to heal the boy without prayer. Meaning that they tried to heal the boy based on their own power and not on God's power. And gosh, in that context, I can understand why Jesus was so upset. I mean, his his disciples are given an opportunity to heal. And they forget that God is the source of all healing. They try to heal the boy from their own power and authority. But Jesus wants them to understand, no, power only comes from God. And it is through prayer that they would have been empowered to do the actual healing. And I believe this is where we come into the story. Because I believe the same is true for you and for me, that you and I are not able to accomplish anything in this world of substance on our own. It would be like the disciples trying to heal based on their own ability to heal. It's impossible. We can only accomplish huge, amazing things in this world by God working through us. That's what this story is about. By saying it's not about me, And what I can do on my own, it's about me being a vessel for God and allowing God to work through me. Something Jesus wanted his disciples to understand and wants us to understand as well. He's basically saying you and I are are not able to do anything unless we understand ourselves as an instrument of God. And that is what we are. We are an instrument, a tool in God's hands, if we allow ourselves to be. But how often do we go through life thinking, well, I'm kind of in charge of my life, right? Like, it's, it's all about me. I, I know my limits. I know what I'm capable of. But we're thinking with the small minds there. We're not thinking with, oh, what is possible 
if I really open up my life and my heart to God, because God is here, and God is eager and willing to work through our lives. Now, Jesus doesn't want to end this encounter with a negative statement, simply telling his disciples, well, you didn't have enough faith, faith that God was going to work through you. No, instead, he wants to end it on a positive note of what the disciples could have done next time. So here's how he ends it. He says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. All right, so I stole Bailey's mustard seeds because I thought that would be a great illustration. I'm holding one right now, and I bet you can't even see it, can you? It is the tiniest little seed right there on the end of my finger. That's a mustard seed. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you've got faith, the size of this mustard seed, you can move mountains. Let's unpack that a little bit, because I'm sure you're going, hmm, okay, what does that mean practically for me? I believe this story is trying to get us to ask a question, and the question is, what is the power of faith? What is the power of faith? And Jesus through this story, declares that faith is the most powerful thing in the world. It can move mountains. Faith can make the impossible possible. Nothing else in the world can do that. And yet, I know that the end of this story marks some of us, or strikes some of us as a bit strange, doesn't it? Because we think, okay, if the mustard seed is so small— and I think I have at least that much faith. But if I've never moved a mountain before, then do I not actually have enough faith or the amount of faith that I think I have? But I want you to stop right there. Because Jesus does not intend with this teaching to make us feel guilty, saying, oh man, I, I thought I had faith, but I can't move mountains. No, rather, Jesus wants this statement to be an encouragement of what is possible when we put our trust in God. And do you see how Jesus is trying to get us into a proper understanding of faith, where it moves it away from us to God? Sometimes when we think of faith, we, we think we need to get out a measuring stick and say, okay, how much faith do I have? Do I have this much faith or am I really faithful? And we measure our own faithfulness to God. And Jesus says when we do that, we're actually missing the point. Because it's not about the faith we have. It's about learning to trust God. It's learning what God is doing in the world. And so what we want to do in this story is grow our trust. And we can do that every day. As Christians, you and I can do that every day where we can say, I want to grow in my ability to truly trust God. Because that's faith. I mean, have you ever put your faith in a person? We all have, right? Well, it's the same sort of concept, except in this concept, we're putting our faith in God, who has the ability to move mountains. And so, when we see the obstacles 
and problems of our lives. And I'm sure you can all think of a couple that are even in your life right now. And you think, I can't. I can't overcome that. And you might think, ah, man, but I I have a little bit of faith, so why isn't God doing something? The encouragement is to, no, 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 move it away from a conversation about you and move it back to God. To say, God, okay, I'm just going to trust you here. I'm going to trust you to move mountains. I'm going to trust you to make this obstacle something I can manage. And I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm going to trust that you will do it and that you will work in me. I truly believe that we can attempt great things from God only when we expect great things from God and truly have the faith that God is at work. I think this story is telling us that there's a difference between thinking of faith as just believing God exists, right? Faith going, oh, I've got faith. I believe that God exists. And it moves us to saying, no, faith is learning to trust God daily because God is at work and God is in my life. And I live side by side with this God. So the bottom line is that you and I are instruments for God's grace and power in this world. And we don't create that power within us, for that is God's power working through us. And it only happens when we grow in our trust and our confidence of God. So are you ready to move mountains? Are you ready to feel the earth shake? Are you ready for the world to never be the same because of the power of God? Me too. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.